Comic Book Tales is an immersive comic book experience for the new or lapsed comic book fan. I take a closer look at the comics that shaped my childhood and influenced my adulthood. Comic books are an amazing entry into another world and even provide the pictures to complete the fantasy. Join me for a new Comic Book Tales adventure. Hello and welcome to, me, welcome to Chapter 2 of Comic Book Tales, A Marvel Adventure. Um, last episode I talked about some of the things that go into making a comic book and, and the past uh, history, specifically the Golden Age. And I want to go into this, I know I talked about getting into the Marvel Age, but I want to make sure you understand the foundation of comics um, so that you have a better understanding of what goes into this making of a comic book. It's not as simple as saying... Poof, I want a comic book. <laughs> and there it is. There's a comic book. There's everything you ever needed. Uh, there's those other things that definitely go into it. So you need to understand the industry a little bit better before you can understand Marvel and why Marvel is different or was different at that time. So I, I want you to think about making a pizza. And if you're making a pizza, you got to do certain things in a certain order. And you got to add certain things to the mix to make a good pizza. And if you don't do that, you get what you're really not going to want to eat. If you cook it too long, it gets burnt. If you put the cheese on last, it doesn't melt. If you don't put on the meat or the other toppings, then you know it takes a little bland. So the sauce has to be put in a certain way. You don't put the sauce on the top of the pizza. You put it underneath the cheese. All those things have to happen in the right order. Well, the comic book industry is no different. The comp- making a comic book is no different. There's multiple steps that have to be done in order before you can really truly get to the p- final product that you see and read, uh, whether it's in print or on on uh, the internet. So here's what we need to do. If you don't have a good story, the book doesn't work. If you don't have um, good coloring, then it jerks you out of the the uh, the story or the book. So all those things have to come together, and here's what you need to do to make a comic book. Uh, when we get into the Silver Age, things change a little bit, but we'll talk about Golden Age right on the cusp of Silver Age and and what that means. So you have the writer, okay? Uh, the writer does what they, they're supposed to do. They write. Now, the writer could sometimes be the creator. Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes it's the artist who is the creator. Sometimes the artist was also the writer and the creator. So you can have that combination of stuff, but understand that the as the book goes on, the creator is less and less likely to be involved in the book. So the creator of Superman, creators of Superman, were not involved with the book past the 1950s. And there's numerous court cases around that, but the reality is eventually somebody else takes over. So we're going to deal with the generic versions of things. So the writer writes the book. The artist draws the book. Now, the artist could be broken down into multiple jobs. Could be pencilist and um, and uh, inker. And what does that mean? Well, it means that somebody drew it in pencil and then somebody traced over it in ink and erased any of the other uh, stuff that came around the, the pencil lines. So if you had the pencil lines, they would you know, erase them and just make them ink. So when you get that nice black line around a character... That's the anchor. So that could be the same person. Sometimes. Sometimes it wasn't. So you have to understand there could be multiple people doing this. Um, but it, it was it was a one or two person job to do that. Then you have the colorist. And the colorist in the early days got a bad name. 
um, because the colorists were dealing with the cheapest newsprint possible and the printing techniques of that era were not awesome. Uh, they weren't what you see today. If you open up a, a book right now with a color picture, it's going to be fairly crisp. You're going to be able to see the distinct lines between the colors. You're going to see those, you know, belts going to show up much more closely, closely than it would be uh, for anything else. And you didn't see that in the early days. It was kind of blobs of color thrown on a page. And they were very simply drawn because of that, because you could not see distinct patterns. I mean, Superman in 1938, you could see he had a belt. You couldn't see the intricacies of that belt. You could see that there was a divider between the top and the bottom. And that was done for a reason. That was done to separate the, the top and the bottom of the character to you knew there was a distinct form there, and it made your eyes visually look at that character differently than if you didn't put that belt in. So that's why we say Superman had a belt, because you, you had to create that illusion of a distinct lower body, upper body. Uh, but it was very, very poorly colored and therefore very poorly drawn to reflect that because that was the technique available at the time. So sometimes these printers would offset the the colors so they wouldn't kind of match up to the, the ink drawing and it would be offset so you'd see this little the color kind of outside the edges. Colorists got a bad rap for that, but it wasn't always the colorist's fault. They did what they could with what they had and it wasn't great. Uh, so that's something you have to think about when you're reading those old books and looking at those old pictures. They're, they're what they could do for the age. Um, think, think Cinderella, um, I'm sorry, Snow White in the 1930s from, from Disney, and then think of Pixar's Toy Story of today, Toy Story 3 or 4. Think of that today and compare the two. Yes, one looks vastly better than the other, but it was the techniques and the technology available at the time. Snow White was the best they could do at the time. Um, if you go back and watch that movie, you see very little of Prince Charming because they couldn't get the drawing right to look normal. So he's right at the end. And that's really all you see of him. Whereas they got the woman, the Snow White, right because they had the billowy dress. So they didn't have to worry about the legs so much. Whereas the man they did, and it was hard. So they just didn't really put much in here of Prince Charming. You don't see that with Toy Story. It's, it looks lifelike in some instances where you know you're watching drawings, but they look like you're watching TV and <laughs> it's kind of a vastly different, different setup. So that's what we came up with from coloring. It's very, very much improved since then. Uh, the next person you deal with is a letterer. And I'm often asked, well, what? a letterer literally just puts in the words that the artist wrote. They're given blank pages with pictures that the artist has drawn and they're given the script that the writers put together and they're to put it on the page. And you think, well, I can be a letterer. And I think that's how publishers really look at the letters. Well, anybody can put, you know, put uh, letters on a page. Sometimes they're hand-drawn. Sometimes they're typeset. Depends on the format that they want to use or what the artist or somebody else wants to use. But it's, it's not that difficult, it would seem. But here comes the problem. When you read a comic book, have you ever noticed a good comic book will take you across the page and get you to see all of the artwork and the progression of the story. That's not by accident. That is done on purpose. The artist draws it, the writer writes the story, and they put it together in such a way that you're seeing the whole thing progress from panel to panel. It's not just one blow-up shot after another. It's not full page. You have multiple panels on a page, and that is done 
specifically to give you a drawing in the story and to see the reactions of the characters. You know, they can't do it with live action. It's not live action. It's drawn. So if the character's face changes, you have to be able to see that. Well, if you're looking on the left side of the page and the character's changing their face on the right and all the lettering's on the left, you're never looking over the right side of the page and you're never seeing that. So the letter will, it's their job to make that story progress. And the good ones do it very well. If you've, again, if you've ever read a comic book and you've seen how you're like, wow, it's, it's amazing. I always know which box to read next. There's multiple things on the page, but I always know what to read next. There's a reason for that. You can thank the letterer. The last two we get to are editor and editor-in-chief. Now, the editor, there's an editor for every book. In the Golden Age, none of that was known. In the Golden Age, you get creator and a publisher. As time progressed, you got editors and then an editor-in-chief for the whole whole arm of publishing, whether it was a division or the entire company's publishing empire. But an editor decides what goes in the book. What do I want this character to be? You know, the artist can come up with something, the writer can come up with something, but the editor has a final say in saying, I don't want that. I don't think that's the right direction for this character or this arc, or I want to change this and change how I want it to look. So the editor has final say on that book. Now, the editor-in-chief has final say on all of the books, and why do, I, why do we talk about an editor-in-chief? Because in the Golden Age, you didn't have an editor-in-chief. You barely had editors. It was really much a writer, artist, and then everybody else who worked in the book. But an editor-in-chief has a responsibility for expanding the view for this character into the greater universe. And we'll talk about this when we get to the Marvel Age. But prior to the Marvel Age, there was no universe. There was Batman... In, in Gotham, there was Superman in Metropolis. They didn't interact necessarily that often, and when they did, it was, it was hit or miss, even with Justice League. It was more about what can we do for this character. It was all character-driven for that character. There was no greater place in which they fit, so there was no reason to worry about a DC universe. There was DC. And you read your Batman comic, and you read your Superman comic, and you read whatever else. Marvel was the first to incorporate these these individuals and in saying they live in the same sandbox. You know, and most times it was New York City for Marvel, but they live in the same sandbox. Now think about how wonderful that is, how challenging. And can you imagine a world where that didn't exist? Because it didn't. Prior to the, the Marvel age, it didn't exist. Characters lived out their own lives separate and from everyone else with occasional interaction. Can you imagine living in, in your town, in your community, and never seeing anybody else because your story was your story and their story was their story? So they never over interlapped and over overlapped, interacted or overlapped. That's amazing when you think about that. This was a this was something you say, well, duh, that makes sense. And DC has since changed that. But at the time that's what it was. And there were no multi-part stories. There was the story. You read the book. That was the story. It was self-contained, and it didn't continue the next time. Um, the villain was either vanquished or got away. Uh, that was it. You know, there wasn't there wasn't these overarching themes. You see it in TV today. You see, if you watch a series, it's got multiple daily interactions but there's an overwhelming theme usually that runs through the whole thing so we've got to defeat this big bad guy but it's going to take us 22 episodes to do it and then culminate in the final episode we've introduced in the second or third episode and 
in between, we've got all these little daily minutia we've got to deal with, but there's still that, in the back of our mind, there's still that big bad out there somewhere that we're eventually going to have to deal with. That didn't exist in the comic book world. It didn't exist. It was, yeah, there's a big bad, and we defeat him here, here and now. There was no thought of the future, because again, remember, these are characters and these are publishers who weren't sure there was going to be another issue. They weren't looking at 12 to 15 to 16 to 20 months down the road. They're looking at this month and next month, and maybe only this month in most cases. So there, it was a different time and age, and it made the stories a little one-dimensional. As we talked about, it got a little complacent, a little stayed. So when we see that, it's hard to fathom a world <clears throat> where the Marvel Age didn't exist, but that changed, and that changed for the better, I believe, to make things more interesting and more absorbing for you and me. Uh, so when we get all that put together, so we've we've gotten a, an overarching theme for the book, we've got an overarching theme for the universe, now we've got to get it published. All right, so what's that mean? So we got to get it printed, so you got to make sure the printer prints it correctly, <laughs> staples it together correctly. Then we got to get it the cover on. We got to get it distributed, sent out to comic book shops. Then we got to make sure the comic book stories stores actually want to sell this. Okay, they they got to be incentivized to want to push your book. Now, hopefully, it's a good book, but it can be a good book and that nobody wants to read or nobody knows it's there, so it doesn't get read. So it just sits on a shelf. And if you've ever gone to the grocery store, you you can see what I'm talking about. You look at the shelves at eye level, maybe a little above, maybe just a little below, but not too far. You're not looking at that bottom shelf very often unless you're searching for something specifically, and that's where they placed it. So that that's prime shelf space. The same thing happens in any retail outlet, including comic book stores. If you don't put something where somebody sees it or call it out, an end cap or something like that, you you just didn't see it. So you had to rely on the comic book store employees to say, huh, I think this is something you should read. I think this is something you would enjoy because I know you, Joe Customer, and I enjoyed this, and I think you have similar tastes, and I think you would enjoy that. So all that had to happen just to get the book into the reader's hands, okay? Now, something we don't talk about, and this was evident in the 1960s, DC, through a sub-company of theirs, owned a vast majority, if not all, of the distribution of comic books. So think about that for a second. (laughs) DC Comics, who you're competing with, owns the rights to distribute your comic books because they have the distribution company. You don't have that infrastructure. You can't do that. You're sitting in a little cramped office writing the books, trying to get them published, get them printed, and you can't get them out because DC says, well, we're not going to do above a certain number of books for you because we don't want you to compete with us too much. Yeah, we make money if we distribute your books, but we make more money if we distribute our books. So there's incentive for them to not put um, your books out, including Marvel's, even in the early days. Uh, That's a tough thing. That's a tough thing to overcome. But eventually, deals get worked out and things happen, and we'll talk about that as we get to it. But in these early days, DC had a stranglehold, and I don't just mean in, in popularity of comic books. They had a monopoly on how to get your comic books out. So if you say, I had the greatest story ever, but I couldn't get DC to distribute it because it was too similar to one of theirs, you're out of luck. <laughs> you don't have a comic book. And there was no internet. There was no no way to distribute it any other way other than through uh, the, the only distributing company in the country. So you've got a basic idea of what a comic book, how it gets put together. 
and we can talk further next time about what the Marvel Age did differently. But just kind of put that in perspective. This is a tough age. There's a lot of things that go into a comic book. Uh, even today, there's a lot of things that go into making one comic book. So it's not as simple as poof, here it is. It's You've got to put some, some effort into it. But next time we'll talk about the Marvel Age and the start of Marvel Age. And I want you to put your thinking caps on when we get to that spot because you're going to have to... You're going to have to imagine yourself in that era, in that time period, in that frame of reference. And you have to try to peel away all the things that make today seem like the only thing it's ever been. Um, if you've got a certain age, you, you can have some perspective on that because you can remember when what certain things didn't exist. If you're younger, that's going to be tougher. But I want you to think about, before we get to the next uh, episode, that there are things that you're just not going to have and your, your worldview is going to be much smaller and closer uh, at the start of the Marvel Age than it is today. So keep that in mind as we go into the next episode. I want you to be cognizant of all that. And I'll join you next time. I'm Chad. Talk to you next time. This has been a Hannah Tree production.